and take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the Word of the living God. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided us such things as were necessary. This is the word of the living God, and we say... Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Almighty God, now we pray that you would encourage our hearts. Give us further food, we ask, in your word this day. We pray that the preaching of Christ's word would be his voice to his sheep. That we may recognize it. We may grow from feasting upon it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many stories sandwiched between the first and last chapters of the book of Acts. There are two very bold statements in the book of Acts. The first comes in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Many of you may have that memorized. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it is really the promise of the Holy Spirit. But it's also, as many scholars have noted, really a roadmap for the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there, before Christ ascends to heaven, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you follow the book of Acts from Acts chapter 1 all the way through the very end of Acts chapter 28, you see that indeed by the end of the book of Acts, the gospel has gone from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to, at that time, the known ends of the earth, as it were. Turn over to Acts chapter 28, the very last few verses. It ends with quite an encouraging statement. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, that is in Rome, and received all who came to him, 
preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And just a verse or two before this description of Paul is given, notice Paul's words in verse 28 of chapter 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Sandwiched in between these two descriptive passages of the story, the narrative of the acts of the apostles are many stories along the way. One story that we arrive at is our text, a shipwreck on an island. Paul has a brief island ministry of about three months. And it's during this period of time that we glean some lessons. And really tonight, I just want us to note two. But Paul's ministry on the island of Malta is right at the end of the journey of the book of Acts. What happens in the book of Acts? Well, The promise of the Holy Spirit comes to pass. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. Speaking in tongues, of course, occurs. There is the gospel being heard in a variety of languages. People are coming to Christ at the end of Acts chapter 2. We see the number of the church expanding. We see persecution beginning. The chief persecutor of the church At this time, it's a man by the name of Saul. But by Acts chapter 9, we read of the dramatic conversion of Saul, whose name would be changed to Paul. And he would be the one that by the end of the book is planting churches and propagating the gospel wherever he goes. Several missionary journeys occur. Some wonderful stories, some sad stories, some tearjerkers, really. Think of Paul with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, the last time that they're going to see them, and they have a tearful embrace. Bold Paul making profession of faith between the rulers of the age. And then Paul petitioning to go to Rome as a Roman citizen and to present his case to Caesar. And on the way, he is shipwrecked. There is an adventurous story, a true story in Acts chapter 28 about this shipwreck. Paul in Acts chapter 27 advises that they not go. In Acts chapter 27 verse 10, Paul says, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by these things spoken by Paul. So they set off and eventually a great storm comes upon them and they are shipwrecked and they land in the midst of an island. And that place is Malta. And there on this little island, they spent three months. And what are we to glean? What can we learn from Paul's island Ministry. I want us to see two specific things this evening, perhaps two points as we briefly look at this passage of Scripture. Two lessons for our own consideration and evangelism from Paul's island ministry. The first is this. Nothing prevents gospel advance. 
It's a rather simple lesson. It's one that we have heard many times. It's one that we have seen many times. But nothing prevents gospel advance. I want to lay out a few things in this text that help us to see that this is indeed the case. In Acts chapter 28, a shipwreck, a snake bite, the possibility of hostile islanders, all of those things are things that cannot stop gospel advance. But Jesus gives words to situations like what we see in Acts chapter 28. What happens, boys and girls? They land, and instead of the natives coming after them and harming them, they're actually very kind. Luke, the writer of Acts, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses these words. They showed us, quote, unusual kindness. Why were they kind? Or how was it that they were kind? Well, here you have storm-tossed, wet sailors and the natives build a fire. And they made them feel welcome because of the rain that was falling on them. But then there's an incident that happens. Paul, ever the servant, begins to help. He takes a bundle of sticks and lays them on the fire. And a viper, that is a poisonous snake, comes out of a grouping of those sticks and fastens itself onto Paul's hand. Now, I don't know about you. I actually have been on a mission trip where such a thing has occurred. And when it occurred, it was quite a strange event. Because here you are in a foreign land with very little access to medicine. And you might be thinking, this is a viper. Those were actually the words that I heard. This is a viper. And I thought to myself, as one of the people on our mission trip was there, I thought, this is not good. But in Paul's case, there was no swelling. There was no death. There was no sweating. There was no symptomology, if you will. And so the natives begin to look. And they say, we'll wait long enough because certainly something's going to happen. But nothing happens. A shipwreck, a snake bite, the unknown situation of the islanders and yet by the end of this chapter where is paul preaching unhindered in rome for two years nothing prevents gospel advance several of the things that we see here in this text are actually things that the lord jesus christ said would happen turn to luke chapter 10 luke chapter 10 listen to how the Lord Christ describes those who he will send out. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There, early on in his ministry, as he commissions those to go out as an apostolic band, there is the discussion that even snakes will not hurt those that the Lord Jesus Christ sends out. One other mentioning of a similar reality is at the very end of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse 18. Actually, two things that are mentioned in Mark. Chapter 16 occur in Acts, and that is the healing that 
that Paul performs, as well as the vipers. Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 18. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up servants, serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In our text, in Acts chapter 28, two of those things occur. Paul is literally bitten by a serpent and no harm comes to him. And Paul encounters in his three months of ministry here the need to heal both of which Jesus, shortly before ascending, prophesies would happen. Nothing prevents gospel advance, not shipwreck, not snakebite, not the uncertainties of native islanders. And notice Paul's simple service among these people. Think about this. If you're the Apostle Paul, what do you have your mind set upon? Preaching the gospel, undoubtedly. Planting churches, undoubtedly. How long is it before you are thinking about what kind of church planting movement could happen on an island like Malta? But what does the Apostle Paul do? Well, everyone else is making fire. Everyone else is trying to stay warm. So he picks up a bundle of sticks and begins to serve. By the end of this chapter, we read of Paul unhindered. Have you ever wondered why the book of Acts ends the way that it does? Very open-ended. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Nothing prevents gospel advance is really one of the theme songs of the last few verses of Acts. But this could have been the end. The storm could have ended it. The viper could have ended it. The hostile natives could have ended it. But in the Lord Jesus Christ's providential guidance, none of those things occurred. Rather, the opposite occurred. Paul demonstrated the sign gifts that the Lord Jesus said his apostles would have. And rather than being hostile to this shipwrecked band, the natives were, quote, unusually kind The island begins to make its way to Paul. For three months, verse 11 tells us, they spent time on this island. Now, we're not told how many, if any, came to Christ. But Malta, which could have been the end of Paul's life and ministry, was but a further springboard to get us, to get him to the very end of the book of Acts, where we read that in an unhindered fashion, Paul is proclaiming the gospel. And is this not indeed what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 had outlined? That the gospel would spread from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And that is still the case today. Nothing prevents gospel advance. But there's a second lesson that I think that we see in our text. And that is that when we consider evangelism. When we consider ministry to the lost, we ought to recognize the light of nature among men. We ought to recognize the light of nature among men. Now, 
If you're a note taker, we're going to mention probably four or five things that occur in these short ten verses. What do we mean by the light of nature? We'll turn over to Romans chapter 1 for just a moment. Romans chapter 1. You will, of course, remember from our journey through Romans some time ago, or your own journey through the book of Romans, that at the very end of Romans chapter 1, there is that bold statement that all people suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness, but they have certain knowledge even in their lostness. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. Unbelievers under the wrath of God have certain things, quote, shown to them. What are these things? Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The description continues of idol worship and perversion that exists among the lost in increasing fashion throughout the ages. But what I want us to see is that as Paul encounters these unusually kind natives, these unusually kind, as the translation literally reads, barbarians, There is a certain light of nature. And when you and I encounter the lost, perhaps not on a shipwreck in an island, but when you and I encounter the lost, these kinds of things will be there in varying degrees. What kind of light of nature or things that that are common to us, that are learned through creation, among other things? In varying degrees, you will see, number one, common decency or kindness. Not always, but sometimes. The text says that these are barbarians, these are natives, and yet they show kindness. The Puritan Matthew Poole, commenting on this passage, writes this, quote, How far is this humanity of heathens beyond that inhumanity which some that are called Christians use towards those that are shipwrecked and their goods that come on shore? There's a common decency here, and Poole is right to say, hey, there's a kindness here which not even all Christians have. One of the things that we will see as we are out in the highways and byways of life, ministering to other people, seeking to evangelize, is that there may be a common decency, a a kindness of sorts. But you know, there's a second thing that we may see that these natives had, and that is the recognition or existence of evil. What do they assume is behind Paul's snake bite? Look at verse 4. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Now here's the thing, friends. 
They were right about the fact that there is justice. They were right about the fact that certain people do certain sinful things like murder. But they didn't put all of the pieces together properly. Is this not what we see in our world? Is there not among most individuals a sense that there must be some kind of justice? There there must be some kind of wrong and right in the world? And this is from the light of nature. Human beings have written on their very souls the realities of eternity. But what do we do in our foolishness? We deny it. We stuff it down or we twist it. What was the twisting here? It was sort of a karma, wasn't it? It was sort of a, the fates have finally caught up with this man for he's been bitten by a a viper. So that must mean he did something wrong. Boys and girls, every time something bad happens to someone, is it because they did something wrong? Well, no. No, it's not. People get sick. Sometimes they get well, sometimes they don't. People get bit by snakes. Sometimes they get well, sometimes they don't. People are in car accidents. Sometimes they get better and sometimes they don't. You see, these islanders had an understanding, but it was a twisted one. And yet, what did they have on their hearts? The belief that there is some kind of justice. Friends, even if the people that we share the gospel with deny it, there is a cry in the human heart for justice. But it's a desire that has been twisted. It's a desire that has been turned and even darkened. In fact, some of the people crying out for justice in our day are actually crying out for injustice and they don't realize it. Think about what has happened in our land in the last two to three weeks. For whatever we can say about politics and branches of government, a wrong has been righted in this land. And yet many are saying it is unjust. What are they doing? They're using the concept of justice, but they're twisting it. The islanders were doing that. Kind. Believing in evil's existence, believing in some kind of justice in the end, but assuming that Paul must have been evil because he was bit by a snake. But there's a common decency here among the islanders. There's a recognition of evil. But a third kind of light of nature that we see among these islanders is the recognition of something greater. This too reveals that they have half-truths. Here's what I mean. Look at verse 4 through 6. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They wait. And then what happens? However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, what did they do? They turned Paul in their minds from an evil murderer to a god. After a long time and they saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said, he must be a god. This is not the first time in the book of Acts, by the way, that... 
apostolic bands of people have been worshipped or been assumed to be gods. You see, there is a concept that God exists, that there is something greater than ourselves. And these barbarian, if you will, natives exhibit a belief that there is something greater. Now think about this. We're not shipwrecked together on the island of Malta. But we will encounter people in varying degrees who will have some kind of a common decency. Tainted with sin, but a common decency nonetheless. There will be people who have a recognition of evil and in some cases want and demand justice. But not always according to the word of God. And thirdly, We will encounter people with whom we will share the gospel who recognize that there is something greater. There is something divine. In this case, in their lostness, they say, well, he lives from a snake bite. He must be divine. You know, there's a related fourth kind of light of nature that these islanders exhibit. We've mentioned it already. But that is the expectation of judgment. Now, I know that this may seem strange because you might have witnessing encounters where you talk to people and the way that they come across to you gives you the impression that they don't think that there's going to be any kind of judgment. In fact, you might be listening to this and you might think this is absolutely the opposite of what I've seen. I'll walk up to people all the time and share the gospel and they think that all will be well. That there is no judgment. But if you peel back the layers, you may find that they actually think all will be well for them, but not necessarily for everyone else. What do I mean by an expectation of judgment? Well, again, in verse four, no doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Justice has caught up with him. This is the way of the world. You do wrong things, you will be punished. There is the implication on their hearts that there is something greater. That there may be the divine. That there is evil and that there is even judgment of some sort coming. These things are part of the twisted souls of men and women. And yet, in some sense, isn't it partially true? Is there not evil in the world? Is there not recognition that something is greater? Is there not judgment coming? Is there not a God? The twisted hearts of these islanders who were kind demonstrate a type of light of nature among men. But there is a fifth thing as we consider the light of nature, and that is this. There is a mistaken understanding of all of these things. As we've already said, even though they recognize that there is some kind of evil in the world, they don't fully understand where that evil originates and that they have that same evil living within them. 
even though they recognize something greater, they do not understand who the living God is. Even though there is a desire for justice and an expectation of judgment, they do not know that the living Christ came and spread His arms wide to make Himself a substitute for any who would come to Him. That the living God who must punish sin is also the merciful God who sent His Son to bear the wrath for sinners. And that very thing, it seems like they ultimately heard from Paul. We ought not to take every single story in the book of Acts and say it will always be this way or that way in every encounter. But there are lessons here for us. I know that we live in a world that increasingly seems hostile to the living God. I know that we live in a world that oftentimes presents itself in evangelistic encounters as a place where people say that they're atheists and they say that everyone will be okay in the end. But there is... Deep down in the heart of every individual knowledge which has become twisted and shoved down. And in certain situations you will be able to see in the starkest of atheists an understanding that there is something greater. But who is it? Who is he? That there is evil. That there needs to be justice. That there needs to be judgment. But how in the world are we to arrive at these things? And brothers and sisters, not in every case, but in many, we will be able to take these themes and from these very themes preach Christ. Friend, you want justice. You understand that there's evil in the world. Let me speak to you of the God of all justice. Friend, you understand that there's something greater You're claiming that you don't know who that one is. And like Paul on Mars Hill, you can say, let me tell you about the one that you have called the unknown God. Here in Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, we see these two lessons. Nothing prevents gospel advance. Paul was going to get to Rome. Paul was going to get there by God's sovereign hand. And when he gets there, Paul is going to have two plus years of unhindered gospel proclamation. Shipwrecks, sick individuals, vipers, the possibility that island natives will be hostile to him. Those things will not stop gospel advance. And a second lesson that we see here and we see in other vignettes in the book of Acts is that in our evangelism, in our living among the lost of this world, we can recognize the light of nature among men. We can see that they have certain themes which have become twisted. And but by the grace of God, we would be these island natives. Perhaps hating murder but not knowing that we too are murderers in heart. Perhaps longing that there be a God and calling other things God instead of the living God. Nothing prevents gospel advance. 
And as we evangelize, as we minister to people in the world, we will encounter a basic light of nature among men. And may I submit to us that we do not need to be afraid of recognizing this light of nature. We actually can consider it a springboard for gospel proclamation. Verse 7, in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. We're not told, we ought not speculate, but if I had to guess, I wonder what those conversations entailed. Verse 8, and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. Is this not what the Lord Christ said would happen among his apostles? Healing as a sign that their words were true. Being bitten by snakes and not dying as a sign that their words were true. Verse 9, so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed... They provided such things as were necessary. Island natives ultimately were used materially for the advance of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we're not shipwrecked on an island. But these kinds of things we will still see in varying degrees in our day. Let us recognize them. And let us preach Christ from every last one of them. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us. Help us as we need the reminder that nothing will stop the gospel from advancing. That as your church prays, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of Christ, the gospel will expand. It will move forward. The nations will hear and many will turn to the living God. Embolden us and encourage us with this reminder, Lord, particularly when we see so much darkness around us and so much rejection of the gospel. But Lord, we also pray that you might remind us that as we encounter individuals, they are going to have certain half-truths. That because of the sinfulness of their own hearts, they push down the the truth of the living God. And we pray that as we proclaim the gospel to them, as we are kind to them, as we speak words of Christ to them, that your spirit might give them life, that they might repent and believe in Christ. Help us, O Lord, we ask, to rest on the firm foundation of the living Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.